please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We are moving through this section here, verses 12 through 17. As we look at, at ministry, Paul sharing his heart, one of God's most powerful ministers, in the dealings that he was having with church in Corinth. This is the last of actually four letters that were written. Uh, we only have two. And uh, Paul has uh, received some information from Titus on uh, the change in the Corinthian church uh, that he had confronted in 1 Corinthians and um, has been uh, encouraged a bit. But in this text, he's showing us that the disheartened Restoration comes from God. And we have a tendency as humans to focus around us versus focusing on God. And um, in the next few weeks, I'll be dealing with, do we understand that privilege of being child, children of the Most High God? Let's pray. Father... Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Father, as as we look at our dear brother Paul here and understand the depth of his anguish, the depth of his broken heart, the depth of his discouragement. And yet, Father, as he says, thanks be to God who leads us in triumph. Father, I would ask that uh, you would teach us That you would be our encouragement. That you would be our sufficiency. That you would be the one that we lean on. And I pray, Lord, that your word will find fertile hearts this day. Souls will be encouraged. And Father, we would be that sweet aroma of Christ unto you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's read our text. Verse 12 through the end of the chapter. Now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother, but taking leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of knowledge of Him in every place. For we are the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma of death to death. To another, the aroma of life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many, peddling the word of God, But as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Paul, at the writing of this letter, before the writing of this letter, was in a great place of discouragement. Now, I know that none of you have ever had any discouragements in this life, and I cherish that. But if you ever do, I would highly recommend this text. The Apostle Paul... As far as I know, the most godly man I've ever met. And everybody said, well, how do you meet him? I read him every day. 
right? And if you can't get insight into who the man is by reading his letters, uh, I'd get another book. But he had a door open for the gospel and it was opened by God. But his heart was so discouraged, he had no rest in his spirit and he took leave of them. Meaning those who had believed on the name of Jesus Christ and the message that Paul was preaching in Troas, he left them. A little infant church in Troas that God had opened the door. Now then, I don't know about you, that has got to be world-class discouragement. But if you think about it, he had just spent two years in Ephesus and that ended in a riot. Okay, before that he had been 18 months in Corinth, and that was going down the toilet extraordinarily fast too. They had perverted the marriage vows. They were getting drunk at the Lord's table. They were having feasts where the rich would come in and eat all the good food. And by the time the poor people who got off work showed up, all of it was gone. They were perverting spiritual gifts. They were suing one another. There was divisions in the church. There were schisms. There was quote-unquote personality cults everywhere. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. And if you were the Apostle Paul, thinking that you had just spent three and a half years pouring yourself into a group of people that ended up in a riot and the disaster in Corinth, you would have to be just a tad bit discouraged. How do you come out of that? And I shared with you over these last few years, we went through 1 Corinthians, now we're in 2 Corinthians. You don't do 2 Corinthians until you've got 1 Corinthians nailed down. 1 Corinthians deals with your personal holiness. Please hear me on that one. It isn't dealing with my personal holiness. It isn't dealing with your elder's personal holiness. It isn't dealing with your spouse's personal holiness, your children's personal holiness. It is dealing with yours. Are you self-centered? That was the Corinthians. I mean, you can take everything there and say, well, what was it? They were selfish. They were selfish. It's all about me. And once you've got that nailed down, then you move into 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians says, now welcome to ministry. Because once God has got you where he wants you, now you're going to be used to serve the saints. See, it is hard to be a servant when you're selfish. Did you know that? It just really is. When it's about you, guess what? It's hard to be about other people. Right? If not, try it. Okay? That would aggravate you. Okay, but that's what he's trying to get at here. And he says, now here it is. I mean, he's already looked at forgiveness. Remember, we spent, what, 10 weeks looking at forgiveness. Why? What have you been forgiven? And his response was this man who had confronted Paul and said that his had a character flaw. Needed to be disciplined. Why? If I can discredit the teacher, then I can discredit his teaching. And being that the Apostle Paul was in the process of writing the New Testament, they didn't have a way to validate it. I can't line it up and say, see, now I can look at people. And and you've heard my phrase before. And where is that in Scripture? 
Why? It's right there. And if I have somebody and they are teaching something that is wrong, I can usually go to the book and say, I don't fit. Now, I remember a guy threw a book at me one time when I was teaching the book of Romans in Russia. And I told him that there were none who seek after God. That's what Paul said. And he said, that's not true. I've always sought after God. And he was adamant about it. He was angry. And I said, well, the scripture says there is none who seek after God. And he wanted to make sure, Alexander, you knew that because it says, no, not one. He threw a book at me. He says, I have you know, I always sought after God. And I just smiled at him. I said, then Alexander, mark that out of your Bible. It's not hard. You want to be the editor of Scripture? Then edit. I'm just telling what it says. He did later come and apologize. And I told him that he threw like a girl. No. <laughs> That's all the love and compassion I've got. Anyway, how does the Apostle Paul between verses 13 and 14 all of a sudden go, thanks be to God? How do you do that? Now, people would say, well, it was because of the appearance of Titus. Well, no, I don't believe that. And here's the reason I don't believe it. He doesn't even deal with Titus's report until chapter 7. Okay, now you've got to understand something. He had made a brief appearance there and had really been called out publicly in the church by somebody and the whole congregation didn't defend him. That's amazing to me. And this person was a man, never mentioned, was challenging the integrity of the Apostle Paul. Which, once you do that, now you've opened up the doors for deception You've opened up the doors to erroneous doctrine. You've opened the doors for false teachers and false apostles. As soon as you open that door, think that they don't come in. You're nuts because it will be Katie bar the door. It's a floodgate. More than two inches in 30 minutes. Okay. How does he get into this last week i shared with you right there he says he leads us in triumph and i believe that the apostle paul similar to what he did in the book uh, the letter to the ephesians where he gives you the helmet of salvation breastplate of license he's got the soldier chained to him 24 hours a day and he says this is a perfect example i believe that the triumph here should have actually been capitalized or the thing called a triumph in roman law that if a general completely vanquished had over 5,000 killed of the enemy and the, the place was so suppressed and now is a Roman colony that there is no need for troops to be there, they would give him a triumph. And it would be this massive parade through the streets of Rome. Huge parade. It would start out with the politicians up front. Right after the Senate would be a white bull that would be offered to the god of Jupiter, the god of war. Okay. After that would come the priests and they'd carry these huge incense censers that would have this incense burning. Right behind them would be the prisoners, those who were taken captive, who were on their way either to the gladiatorial games or to prisons or to slavery. But you can guarantee to death. 
During this whole procession, you would have women lining the streets all throughout Rome, these great broad streets, and they would be throwing flowers and wreaths and garlands into the street, and they would be several feet deep. And as you trampled them over the horses and the soldiers and all these people walking across it, these crushed flowers would give off that fragrance, that sweet, sweet fragrance of the flower. You had the incense in the air, and then behind the prisoners would be the spoils of war that were captured, all the riches and treasures then you would have the soldiers who were the victors and then you had the general and it's this great celebration and yet you could put the victorious soldiers and the prisoners right there and they're both smelling the same aroma of all these incense they're both selling the same aroma of all these crushed flowers and to one it would be sickening and to the other one it'd be great and paul says No matter what's going on in the circumstances around me, no matter how heartbroken I am in ministry, I have a privilege of being led by a sovereign God. Verse 14, God always leads us in triumph. That whole phrase in the original language is emphatic. I want you to think about that for a second. What does it mean? Emphatic. There is never a time, never a moment, never an occasion, never a circumstance or a place in a Christian's life that God is not leading. That's what it says. Look what it says. Always leads us. Well, what if I've fallen into sin? You're being led. No, God doesn't lead you into sin, but I guarantee you, you are about to learn something. And it will be a purifying process. And who's leading? Jesus says, lo, I am with you. Even to the end of the age. Even to the end of the age. The psalmist in Psalm 139 says, where can I go to hide from you? And Paul says, no matter what's happening in that cataclysmic catastrophe in Corinth, no matter what's happening even in Ephesus, no matter the fact that Titus didn't get there as quick as I wanted to, God Always leading me in every moment, in every time, in every occasion, every circumstance, every issue in my life. He is there. You know that even when you rebel against God, he's still leading. You know, it's, I remember talking to a guy one time and he says, well, you know what happens in the evangelical church is you, you come to a point of, 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 of salvation, you know, where you walk an aisle or say a prayer, whatever it is you did. And you do that thing, and then you're usually on fire for about a year and a half to two years, and then all of a sudden you backslide. Usually between three to five years, you backslide. And then, then all of a sudden you, he gets your unadulterated attention again, and you walk with him. I said, well, that sounds really good, except for one small problem. And he says, what's that? I said, it's not scriptural. Other than that, it sounds good. Oh, so well, you just don't understand. I said, no. 
what you're describing, I don't understand. Do Christians sin? Well, duh. Okay? But you know what? The most miserable animal on the planet is a Christian who's in sin. Because the Holy Spirit's doing this. Why? God's still leading. And he says, well, what happens is you, you make him Lord. And I said, you know, that's borderline blasphemous. And he said, what? I said, he is Lord. You don't make him Lord. He was Lord before you were. And when I hear people say, well, you make him Lord, you know what that tells me? My flesh is more important than God. And yeah, that's going to get you in trouble. Hey, <laughs> there, buddy. You, you. So I, I think I can identify with Paul when he says, "I bear on my body the marks of Christ." You know. Now he was talking about I carrying on the retribution that is aimed at Christ. I carry on the fact that there's sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm a little lumpy. <laughs> he, he says, "I was talking to you, and don't make me come down there." Listen, do you, when you think about following the sovereign God, is there any greater confidence? I mean, we get bombarded by news and events and tragedies and oil spills and hurricanes and flooding. And, we, and, and you, you just get hit all the time. Bad news about this. You know, my 401k is a 101k. Uh, you know, the stock market is not stock market no more. There ain't going to be this. This is going to, we're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to run away and it's all going to be awful. And you just get hit by it. But have you ever thought about it? You're only being led by the sovereign creator of existence. God who created time. Did you know he created space? Matter? And he's just your sovereign leader. That's it. Other than that, everything else is out of control. Have you ever really thought about that? Oh, that's right. You guys have never been discouraged. I forgot. If you ever step into discouragement, think about he only spoke existence into being. That's all. He just spoke existence into being. If it doesn't exist, he didn't speak of it. Okay? Listen, I don't want you to downplay this because Paul was troubled. I mean, the Apostle Paul, if you look at this thing and you sit and you look at the Corinthians, you look at what has happened in Ephesus, you look at all of the things that seems to be going south. um, You would say from Paul's perspective, it looks like this whole plan has gotten unraveled someplace. It's like the whole operation that was in Corinth has been ripped out of the hands of God and now Satan is in charge. This is what I look at. And if you haven't been in the church very long, there are times that the church looks just like that. I don't think God's in this church anymore. I think Satan's driving it. If you've been around the evangelical community for any number of years, there's times when you sit there, you know, I thought the gates of hell couldn't stop this. So why would that person have the ability I have watched people in the church try to rip the very fabric of the church out. When I was in Philadelphia one time, I remember going past the 17th Presbyterian Church. You know what that means? 
Presbyterians have church splits just like the Baptist. That's what that means. I don't understand that. But you will see individuals in the church, and, and there's no church immune to this. You can't say that the Corinthian church was a doctrinally weak church if the Apostle Paul was going from house to house, day in and day out, for 18 months teaching. That is not a doctrinally infant church. And yet, they perverted spiritual gifts so that they could show off? Have you ever thought about that? And yet, what do you see in the church today? People want to stand up and utter something and say, look how spiritual I am. Who's in charge of the church? And I remember a guy one time telling me, he said, if it hadn't been for women, the church would have died years ago. Really? Huh. I guess Jesus just had a big imagination when he said, death can't stop it. He ain't in the church no more. <laughs> Go figure. Okay. And I don't say that, but the question is, when we look at the body of Christ, it is full of a bunch of people who need Christ, who are hurting for Christ, who are suffering for Christ, who need to grow in their faith. And do you really think that we're all going to get along? There is times I know your flesh doesn't raise up and I praise God for every one of you knowing that your flesh doesn't take control of you. But every once in a while, mine does. Because I have an unrelenting foe, and it's me. You know, I, guys, guy, guy told me one time, he said, well, have you ever gotten into spiritual warfare? I said, I don't need to. <laughs> every, every time I'm awake, I'm in it. I don't have to worry about demons. Why? I am one, or I can be one. See, there are times that when we look at the whole operation, you know, I look at the church today and, and, and I, I meet with a number of pastors in our community and I meet with a number of people and have had privileges of doing some things like that. And everybody's in the church growth movement. Now, they won't say they are. And they'll, no, this is what Jesus is doing. But I watch it and it's nothing more than Madison's Avenue marketing. Okay, they say they're not. You, you will not run into a pastor who says, I'm here to grow a megachurch. Right. But if you watch what they do, what are they doing? They believe that church success in the United States today, across the board, across the denomination, church success is what? Numbers. Numbers. All right. That, that's just the way we look at it. You know what? I've had the opportunity to teach abroad and they're not based on numbers. And yet God has done some number in there. Don't kid yourself. Uh, I've just been updated on some stuff that we're doing. We did last year in Uganda uh, to teach pastors how to expound scripture. And this year they're expecting from 12 nations of Africa and they're expecting 45,000 pastors. It started three years ago with 200. God's doing something. 
Okay, but it goes back to a very simple thing. We're not teaching you. You know, if you go to Africa and you ask him who is your worship leader, you know who it is. It's the pastor. Why? He's bringing us the word. That's where you worship. It's kind of an interesting concept if you really think about it. And I talk to these pastors in town, and and they're all into you know just. I don't have any other way of describing it, but I will use this term. They're into gimmicks. Okay? It's gimmicks. And I mean, it just covers, gee, many crickets. Just covers the spectrum. And I remember having a conversation. We were sitting there. It was about 10 or 12 of us, something like that. And I said, well, what do you guys do with the text when Paul's last letter to Timothy Difficult times will come and men will not heed sound words and shall heap to themselves teachers that tickle their ears. How does that fit your church growth model? They really didn't like that idea, but... People ask me, do you believe the return of Christ is soon? And I say, yeah, and that's the text that I believe that it's soon. I don't look for things in the heavens and earthquakes and rumors of wars and all the rest of that. Uh, That's been going on for centuries. But I do look at it at the condition of the church and say, hmm, hmm. Paul affirms the amazing reality that whatever may be happening here in Corinth or in Ephesus, whatever may be the gloom or the despair of his heart, this one thing he recognizes. No matter how troubled his heart, that God is the great victor. And he's leading. He's leading. I remember talking to a pastor one time. Guy's still in the pulpit. has been in his church. He's only been in one church senior pastor for 45 years. I think that's kind of cool. Um, and uh, <laughs> he, he told me we, we were eating some barbecued something or other. And he told me, he said, uh, being a minister of the gospel is the greatest privilege in all of existence if it just wasn't for the people (laughs) and I was like yeah you're right do you understand that the great God of all is leading us at all times I do not care what circumstances you're in. I do not care about your heartache. I do not care about your despair. I do not care about your trouble. Why? God's leading. Perhaps you need that. You know, I was discussing this week was kind of a, a tough one for me. Uh, several people in different incidences going on in their lives. And one is a possible divorce. Another guy is an unbeliever that I've known for a number of years. And uh, he's just gotten uh, information that uh, they're going to probably have to cut off his leg. And... Um, He's always been curious about me because he knew where I came from. He's know where I'm at. And I don't seem to... He says, does anything bother you? I don't know. Every once in a while that 
one pepperonis, man, whew. But uh, other than that, you know, that's just, but that's usually my own fault. Um, and, I, and I thought about this guy and possibly losing his leg and this family that's looking at divorcing and some things like that. And I thought, you know what? Isn't it in our darkest times that God shines the brightest? Have you ever thought about that? It's just an interesting concept. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about the rest of you. Uh, I had to go to an extraordinarily low point in my life to come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But what I found is, is that's really not unusual. It's usually through some darkness in our lives that God said, uh, I would like to reconcile you back to me. And yet, even through those times, if you think about it, God is still sovereign. There are things that we go through after our salvation that you see as heart-wrenching and heartbreaking, and perhaps they were a time of rebellion against God, and perhaps they were products of your own sinful behavior. I mean, if you think about King David, here he has this woman that's not his wife. She becomes pregnant. The child dies at birth. He's already had the woman's husband killed. And Nathan points it out to him that God knows it. And yet God refers to David as who? A man after his own heart. I mean, even David, if you go through the 50 series of Psalms, even King David looks at it and says, you know what? Against you and you alone have I sinned. All right. I know that you guys didn't, but I have had to learn a lot about my God through my sin. Okay, because I understand forgiveness because I know who I am. I know what I am capable of. Apostle Paul is looking at this saying, the church in Corinth and Ephesus and all this stuff, what in the world is going on? But he backs away from it and says, thanks be to God who leads us in triumph. He is sovereign. He knows the beginning from the end, which means he knows the middle. 23rd Psalm says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I myself prefer to walk around the valley. Okay? But you know what? If you walk through the valley, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I have lost two fathers, uh, a very dear friend of my best man at my wedding. Uh, a number of people that I have known in my life have stepped into eternity. Some stepped into eternity with Jesus Christ. Some, some stepped into eternity against Jesus Christ. And yet, he still leads See, when I think about this text right here, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. I'm in the parade. Paul says, I don't care what's going on. I'm in the parade. I'm in the parade. I will walk with his generals. I will walk with his lieutenants, his captains, his privates, his sergeants. You know what? I get to walk in the same places as John Knox. McShane. 
Dr. Olford, Spurgeon. I've seen that army. That's what Paul is saying. I get to walk with Paul. Listen, there's a confidence in the sovereignty that God has the absolute strength in any ministry. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That is the strength of everyone and anyone's joy is that God is on the throne. Have you ever heard that one that says, well, you know, there's times in your life that God's on the throne and every once in a while you take him off the throne and you get on the throne. You realize how silly that is? You really think you can dethrone God. You can be selfish. Stiff-necked. You can be all them things. Sure. But you're going to be miserable. And let me tell you something. You did not get on the throne. It's impossible. The privilege of belonging to the ranks of the sovereign Lord. The privilege of marching with that commander in chief. You know, I had the privilege a few weeks ago. It's been a couple of months ago to ride back to uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, it was really amazing to watch the outpouring of people. Uh, I mean, you'd be going down the interstate and people would be hanging these big old huge American flags off of the bridges and everything. It was a celebration of veterans. It it was amazing. I mean, Oakley, Kansas, they closed the street. There was 3,000 motorcycles sitting there and they cooked hot dogs and hamburgers for all of us because they wanted to thank the vets. I seen it in, in, in Indiana and Kentucky and Missouri shut down eastbound 70 for us. No one could get on. Until we went through. Now, we, we were about 3,000 strong then, and it was kind of a traffic nightmare. But they, they escorted us. Once we crossed the river in, out of Kansas City, Kansas, into Kansas City, Missouri, they had police escorts. And they surrounded us. They blocked us in the front and the back and along the side. Nobody got around us. And you'd go past these bridges, and you'd see all this. Now, listen, I am not a vet. I'm a son of a vet. And it was such a privilege to ride with these men, to sit and to talk to these men, to hear these men. I mean, there was a guy who was a Korean War vet riding a little bitty sportster out of Tucson, Arizona, all the way to Washington, D.C. He's in his 70s. I, I, I got that big old thing. I'm riding. Here, you ride mine, dude. This is, you're breaking my back watching you. But anyway, but you see, I got to he listen to these guys. This guy was telling me about Chosun Reservoir. If you don't know anything about Korea, that was not a happy place. A lot of my friends were in Vietnam. That was not a happy place. But I was running into guys who had been to Afghanistan and Iraq. And the privilege of just being around these men. Then they let 250 of us ride in the back gate of Arlington and go over to the tomb of the unknown soldier. And they took four of us out of our group of 250. They would not let motorcycles ride in mass into Arlington. You can ride a motorcycle in, but you can't go as a gang. But they brought 250 of us in, and they let us present a wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown for the run for the wall to remember all the vets and the POWs and MIAs. That was a privilege. It was awesome. Last time I was in D.C., there was no wall. I had three friends' names that are on that wall, and I finally got to see them. It was a privilege. Paul is looking at this text and he says, I have the privilege 
of being in God's army. I have the privilege of belonging to the victorious troops. I have the privilege of being under this kind of leadership. A leader who always, always, always leads in victory. I have the privilege of being chosen by God to be a soldier of Christ. I have the privilege to bear his name. I have the privilege to wear his uniform. I have the privilege to serve his cause. And Paul says, when I start looking at that, the rest of this stuff is, so I ain't going to worry about it. It ain't going to bother me. It ain't that, that it doesn't hurt. It isn't that it doesn't discourage. But when that discouragement sets in, that despair sets in, that anguish sets in, you know what? I'm in God's victory parade. That's enough to bring back Paul's joy. No matter what may be happening, Paul says it was Christ our Lord. First Timothy chapter one, verse 12. I thank Christ our Lord who strengthens me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, putting me into the ministry. Do you know if you're saved today, God of the universe has put you into service? And it's a privilege, even if it is dragging out your shop back and sucking the water out of the basement floor. Hallelujah. Lord, you gave me a shop back. It is he who strengthens me. Listen, Paul says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Grace of the Lord was more abundant with the faith and love which is found in Christ Jesus. It is God who strengthened me. I was a blasphemer. I was there holding the coats when we stoned Stephen. Yet he showed me mercy. I was a chief of sinners, Paul says. And yet, as the chief of sinners, he made me a minister. God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He breaks forth in praise. In the bleakness, in the blackness, in the heartache, in the discouragement, He just breaks forth in praise. Hallelujah. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And you just sit there and go, what? Why? I'm in the parade. I'm in the parade. Praise filled Paul's heart. He says, I'm not looking at the circumstances. So I ain't looking at the difficulties. I ain't looking at the heartaches. I ain't looking at the accusations. I press on for the upward calling of Christ. You want to turn discouragement into joy? Look at your privileges. You know, it's, it's funny because every Christmas, there's a company out there somewhere um, who sells stars. You ever heard that? You can get a star named after somebody and you get the certificate and they, they tell you how to find it and all the rest of it you know that's that's a hocus don't even because i've looked through telescopes you could never find a star among all them stars if you had to <laughs> i just look at all of them but you know what i thought about this the other day you know what i am only a joint heir with christ okay what does christ own that's like the guys that sell a brooklyn bridge it ain't yours you're giving away stars that belong to Jesus. And I'm joint heir to those. And I'm suing. No, just kidding. <laughs> Sell my property. Buy the Brooklyn Bridge. 
You have the privilege of being led by the sovereign God who leads in all things, who is involved in every detail of your life and your ministry. Just contemplating the privilege of being led by the greatest commander-in-chief and being associated with the Lord Jesus Christ ought to be enough to just thrill you to the core. I remember years ago, there was a, a, a picture in Time magazine. Is that it? No, it was Time. Life magazine, sorry. Life magazine. Uh, President Kennedy was sitting at his desk, that big honking desk, and there was a little door right in the center of it, and John John was crawling out of it. And I thought, how cool. You know, you're in the Oval Office and the President of the United States crawling around under his desk. You know, I mean, that's just not something every kid gets to do. But you know what? I can sit on the lap of he who spoke existence into being and he calls me his son. I have access to the throne of heaven at any given moment. You've got privileges, people. Being in the ranks of the others who have served the Lord for all of those years under His sovereign leadership, to know that you walk with the likes of the great men, Martin Luther, um, John Calvin, John Knox, Tyndale. Just go down the list. Just go down the list. Hudson, just go down the list. You get to walk with them. Tell me you ain't got privilege. When you back away and you start thinking about that kind of stuff, listen, really? What in this life? I am convinced that the suffering of this life cannot compare to the glory to come. That should be enough to bring back your joy. And I don't care what it's... What is what the attack is, the discouragement, the despair, the heartache or whatever it is. Listen, I'm in his parade. Dude, they're going to be having like the, the flowers and everything. It's just you're standing around going, wow. And some will say, whoa, but I'm going to go, wow. There is a second privilege. The privilege of promised victory in Christ. And we'll look at that one next week, okay? Do not forget you have the privilege of being led by the sovereign God of creation. Remember, he only flung the stars into the heavens. That's all. That's all. Let's pray. Father, help us to see the joy of our brother Paul, even in this discouragement of what was happening, these circumstances. I think about my brother shipwrecked and stoned, left for dead, beaten with rods, and fear and terror everywhere he traveled. The Jews didn't trust him. The Gentiles mocked him. And yet, Father, he understood. He walked in the victory parade of you who has redeemed creation. Father, may we be overwhelmed with that privilege. May we be overwhelmed as Paul was overwhelmed. And Lord, I just pray that in our ministries, each of us here, the discouragement will come. And yet, Father, in that discouragement, 
let us understand that we walk victorious in Christ Jesus regardless of the circumstances or, Lord, even the people. To your praise and glory, in Christ's name, amen.